Now, this evening we are concluding uh, a three-part series uh, that is trying to answer this question, isn't it? Why did Jesus, why did God the Son, Jesus, become man? Right? That's the question we've been asking. And to answer this question, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 14 to verse 18. And last week's, last Sunday morning, we said the first benefit of God becoming man is in verse 14 to verse 15. Let me just read that again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We said that the first benefit there that the writer of Hebrews is saying is that God became man in Jesus to destroy the devil by delivering us from the power and fear of death. Benefit number one. Why Christmas? That's the answer. To destroy the devil and deliver, by delivering us from the power and fear of death. The second benefit uh, is in verse 16 to 17 of why God became man in Jesus. Verse 16 to 17 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of of the people. We said last Sunday evening that the writer is teaching us that God the Son became man to offer, uh, to offer up himself as a sacrifice for our sin. Right? That's the second reason God the Son became man. This evening, I want us to look at the third benefit in verse 17 to verse 18. These verses combined are teaching us that God became man in Jesus to suffer temptation as one of us so that he can be our merciful and faithful helper when we are tempted. Verse 17, let's read that again. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Everyone experiences temptation all the time, including children of God. You know that, of course, isn't it? We are all tempted to sin against God every day, and I think possibly every hour. If not, sometimes every minute. Temptations come to us in many ways, don't they? Clarence McCartney says, In every circumstance of life, every lot, every association, every work, every pleasure, every hardship, there is a possible temptation. Think about that. There are temptations for the body, temptations for the mind, temptations for the soul, there are temptations of the appetite, temptations to be dishonest, selfish, evade our duties, disregards the rights of other people, 
Temptations of being indifferent to other people's sorrows. We are tempted to be prideful, says McCartney, slothful, envious, suspicious, and slanderous to our neighbors. And even more dangerous, he says, we have temptations to doubt God, to have unbelief towards Christ. Sometimes some of our temptations can seem small to us, isn't it? But we need to remember that our temptations are serious because they may lead to sin. And there is no such thing as a small sin, so there's no such thing as a small temptation. As John Wesley famously said, there is no little sin because there is no little God to sin against. So we need to take temptations of any level seriously. And we must not forget that small temptations, if we can call them that, can lead to greater temptations, often lead to greater temptations. As a Puritan, Thomas Manton once said, lesser sticks set the great stones on fire. Lesser sticks set the great stones on fire. The Lutheran theologian Emma Thielek says that every temptation brings the possibility that we may be torn away from God through small and great events in our life, lead to fondnesses, as he calls them, and great passions. We can be brought to a point where we lose communion with our Father. In whatever shape our temptations come, their goal is to move us to turn away from the word of the living God, right, and deny the rule of God over our lives. And when we give in to any temptation, even if it looks more in our eyes, we are really tearing ourselves away from God. The original word for tempted, that is in verse 18 there, is perizo. It means to put to the test. Uh, it's interesting in the Bible, the word tempted can mean just tested. Or it can mean tempted. A temptation is when we are being enticed to do something evil. Everyone is afflicted by temptation generated by three principal enemies, isn't it? First, there is a devil who is constantly at work to make us fall into sin. That's one origin of our temptations. The devil, of course, is only one person. We should always remember that. So he's not omnipresent. But we should also remember that the devil is not alone in the way it works. We've looked at that when we looked at uh, verse 14, 15 of this chapter. The devil runs a powerful organization, the domain of darkness. And if you like, he has his own kingdom with his own civil servants who do his work. The devil wants to destroy your life, the life of your family, the life of your children. He wants to destroy all of that. We sin. The Puritan, again, Thomas Manton said, Satan was cast out of heaven himself and he is all for casting down. That's source number one, the devil. That's why we're tempted, because it's the devil. The second source of temptation, of course, is the world, isn't it? The Bible is clear that we live in a world corrupted by sin. And the world around us is working hard to bring us into temptation. And that's why the Apostle John warns us in 1 John 
chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. I'll just read those verses because they're so important for us to always be reminded of them. We shouldn't get used to them. We should continually study them because they are so important. First John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the world tempts us. And this world that tempts us is not the world that God made and that part of the world that we can love in its broken state. But it's the world that we have made by our sin. The world made by the rebellion of our first parents and by our own daily if you like, reenactments of that sin of rebellion in the Garden of Eden. That's the world that tempts us. So two enemies there, the devil, the world. Well, the final source of temptation is not from outside. It comes from within. Everyone has a fallen human nature. The Bible calls it the flesh. The heart of every human being is infected by sin. We might say our inner moral software is all corroded by our sin and filth. Even when we are regenerate, we still struggle with the flesh. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Lord Jesus, speaking in Mark 7, verse 21 to 27, says this, From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. To be human is to be tempted because we face those three enemies. The world, the devil, the flesh. Now, it is true that temptations are not inherently sinful. Temptations by themselves are not inherently sinful. But, because of our fallen human nature, most of our temptations are inseparable from sin. You should really repent of your temptations. That's my pastoral advice. Because your desires are bound up so much with sin that you cannot be confident that what you're being tempted against with you have not already sinned by your desires. John Owen says this, Let no one fear sin without also fearing temptation. Satan has put them so closely together that it is very hard to separate them. That's the Puritan John Owen. You see, the problem is that sin is not just something we do. It is our inner nature. It is the spiritual skin we wear. Our inner desires are tainted by sin. That's why, that's why often our temptations are inseparable from sin. 
And of course, resisting temptation is hard, isn't it? We all know this. I mean, you might think I don't need to preach about it, because we know that we find it easier to give in to temptation. The reason we sin is because it is costly to say no to sin. So that's one issue. But even if we succeed in resisting temptation, just being under the fire of constant temptation can also damage our life with God, even if we're not sinning. Because followers of Jesus who experience constant temptations can lose their assurance. I've been there. You can start asking, why is this temptation to me an issue all the time? Why can I not just not be tempted at all? And if you keep experiencing that, it can make you start doubting your life. You go, why is this even an issue for me? Well, I need to have moved past this. So, and that can be make us start doubting, are we truly Christians at all? Thankfully, the Bible tells us that God has not left us by ourselves against temptation. Amen? He has given us God the Holy Spirit, who lives in each true regenerate believer. Help number one. Secondly, he has also given us the living word, the Bible, the sword of the Spirit. We must use the Bible to fight against temptation, as the Lord Jesus Christ did. And of course, you have prayer. Help number three. And perhaps help number four, you have fasting as well. And in this passage, we talk about another help God has given us. Verse 17 to 18. A super help. The main help, I would say. Verse 17 to 18. Therefore he had to be made, that is Jesus, like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Then the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted... Is able to help those who are being tempted. The help we have is this. God became man in Jesus to be our helper himself. Jesus. Jesus the man. To be our helper against temptation. The key point here is the humanity of Christ here. That's key for help here. We know from reading the gospel accounts that our Lord Jesus suffered temptation as one of us in his humanity. He was tempted by Satan. We looked at that a long time ago in Mark chapter 1, verse 12 to 13, and of course Matthew 4, and I think it's Luke 4 as well. We have there recorded the temptations of Christ under Satan. But of course throughout the life of Christ, the life of Christ was a life where he was constantly tempted because he was fully man. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 um, says that Christ was tempted in every respect as we are. In every respect as we are. Jesus was repeatedly tempted in his human nature. He couldn't be tempted in his divine nature, but remember Jesus is fully God and fully man, and the one person makes Jesus, right? His divine nature and his human nature together combined makes one person Jesus. But we know in his divine nature he couldn't be tempted because he's God. But in his human nature he was subject to temptation. And he was tempted but he never sinned. He resisted temptation by relying on God the Holy Spirit and the word of God. 
and prayer, of course. And because Jesus resisted temptation, he was able to save us from sin. And by resisting temptation as one of us, his perfect obedience was credited to us. In other words, the death of Jesus has not simply canceled our sin. It has also given us more on top. It has given us the perfect record of Jesus. So I often say this, we were like a person with a lot of debts, right? The death of Jesus canceled our debts. And then credited to us all the blessings of our Lord Jesus Christ on top. Bad credit record canceled plus a new positive credit record. We didn't have to build up a new one. Christ's perfect record is now credited to us. But here the focus in Hebrews 2 verse 18 is not the help that Jesus gave us on the cross. That is in verse 17 principally. But on the help Jesus gives us now against temptation. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Now, a few years ago, um, there used to be a TV show called Undercover Boss. Do you remember that? Undercover boss. I don't know if he's still around. And the, and the way it used to go is that in each episode, the CEO goes undercover, doesn't it? Doesn't she? Usually it was a lady, and they go in as a low-level employee of the company, right? And she changes her appearance. She takes on a new ID, new alias, with a fictional backstory, right? To avoid being detected. And what she does is she spends a week working in various areas of her company, and of course, this exposes her to the challenges of the company that the company faces. And along the way, she gets to know the people who work there. And of course, she starts learning about their professional and personal life challenges. And my favorite part of the show was always towards the end. I loved it. <laughs> I, I used to watch this every time I came from work. I just, I can tell you, you just can tell you, I just had, I think I'd seen every episode. I just loved it. I come from work, I'll put it on. Because I just, and I always look forward to the end, right? This is what happens when you work in the city. You, you, you need to let off some steam. So I'll come at the end, put this thing on. And towards the end, the CEO, right, summons the individuals to the headquarters, right? And then she comes clean about her identity. And then she starts rewarding these hardworking employees. And I was always like, why don't I ever have a boss like this? I just rewards them. And, and other people, she offers more training. There were some cases where somebody was just horrible to the company. <laughs> and she heard all of this, and she just fired them like that. So it's extreme cases. But most of the times, it was rewards. And nearly always, towards the end, those who received these rewards, they were moved to tears by the generosity of the CEO. And it was amazing also to see the bosses themselves, they were changed by this experience. The scenes were very moving, very touching. It's, you could even cry watching it. You just like moved, like, wow, I need to look up this company and work for this boss or something like that, right? Now, I liked the undercover boss, especially because the more I watched it, the more it reminded me of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, our boss, who came that first Christmas to live undercover, we might say, among us. He laid aside his wealth and power to walk in our shoes, to feel our pain, 
to experience the temptations we face. So I saw something of Christ in there, but I also saw something much more superior that Christ has than those bosses. Because Jesus is far better than the CEOs or the undercover boss. Because Jesus did not come because he was ignorant of our true conditions. No, he came undercover to identify with our struggles against temptations for our benefit. He did not become man to see if we can measure up or understand the brand position of his kingdom. Christ chose us by grace and grace alone and came to us by grace and grace alone. Not because we were deserving, but because he's full of grace. And he entered our world to help us for, not for a little bit here and there, Jesus came to be our high priest forever. Our helper forever. He came to constantly identify with us before God. That is what the writer of Hebrews is saying in verse 17 to, to 18. Jesus suffered temptation on earth so that he could be our helper before God against temptation on earth. How does Jesus help us against temptation? How does he do that? How does he do, verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. How does Jesus give you and I help? Well, the answer in Hebrews is that Jesus is our high priest. That's verse 17. But we have to go to to later on, particularly chapter 7, to realize that he helps us through him speaking to God the Father on our behalf. Indeed, the role of the high priest was to speak to the people, but principally to speak to God on behalf of the people. And Jesus does that. He's our intercessor. Hold that thought for a minute. Before we get there, we should be clear that the Bible is clear that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all the sins of his people. Past, present, and future. We looked at that last Sunday evening. Our debts have been paid once and for all. The justice of God was satisfied on the cross. The Lord Jesus has made an end of our sin. As he cried out in John 19 verse 30, it is finished. The writer of the Hebrews, in fact, repeatedly assures us that this pain for sin was once for all sacrifice, isn't it? Or Hebrews 9 verse 26. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once for all, right? At the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And I think Hebrews 7 verse 26 makes the same point. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The sinless Savior offered himself up for us once for all. In other words, the sacrificial or the atoning work of our Lord Jesus is complete. But here is the thing. The cross was not the end of the serving priestly work of Christ. After making the final sacrifice for sins, Christ rose again. And the, and the, the resurrection of Christ saves us, doesn't it? 
He ascended into heaven. His ascension saves us. And he sat down at God's right hand and sent God the Holy Spirit to us. And then Jesus continues now to make, what is Jesus up to? He's making intercessions or prayers to God as our high priest before God. And he's praying for you. Let's go back to Hebrews 7, isn't it? Hebrews 7 verse 23 to 25 says this, doesn't it? The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to serve to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Listen to this. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. The resurrected Jesus is now in the presence of God the Father and he is there right now as our high priest to continue to make effective prayers for you and I. Jesus is praying for you by name. Now, you might want to ask the question, why do we need the prayers of Jesus if we've already been saved by the death of Jesus? Why? I mean, I think it's a question worth asking. Why? I mean, what is your answer to that? Why do you need his prayers when he's already died for you on the cross? Well, his prayers are important in growing you in holiness. The prayers of the Jesus are the means through which God enables his people to continue in faith and obedience. And as the writer of Hebrews says here, to withstand temptation. God has ordained that all his elect children should persevere in our faith to the end. And one way God does that is by Jesus praying for us by name before God. To put it bluntly, without the praying work of Jesus our high priest, we have no hope against temptation. And zero hope of growing in holiness. And without ongoing sanctification and holiness, we would have no assurance in our Christian life. Brother Rob just prayed that we would be more holy. That's important. Why? Because if we are not growing in holiness, how can we have assurance that we are truly God is at work among us or God is at work in our lives? And if we are not growing in holiness, then our communion with God is forever marred by sin. It is hard to pray to God when you know there is a sin you are not dealing with. It breaks you. It makes you unable to serve, unable to do anything. But praise God that God the Son, Jesus, became man to suffer temptation so that he can be our merciful and faithful high priest before God so he could pray for us against temptation. Christ is standing before God praying for you before his Father. Jesus, our high priest, is, is sending superpower prayers before the throne of God as your helper. Hebrews chapter 4 verse um, 15 to 16 makes this point, doesn't it? It's probably a, a verse that you're more familiar with than the one we are looking at this evening. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then the encouragement, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Do you feel encouraged, I wonder, when people tell you they are praying for you? Do you? Well, Sister Teof is encouraged. If I'm honest, it depends on who's telling me they are praying for me. Right? It depends who's, who's making the promise to me. If, if I know they are going to actually pray, I feel so assured. In fact, because I know that they are not just speaking Christianese to end our conversation. You know, sometimes that's the way we end conversation. We've had a chat, okay, yeah, all right, I'm praying for you. That's, that's like, I've got to get out of here. I've got lunch to, to eat. Sometimes we are like that. But when I know that a person really takes prayer seriously, I feel so assured by that when they tell me they're going to pray for me. In fact, when I know that I'm talking to a serious prayer warrior, I don't even wait for them to tell me they're going to pray for me. I actually ask them to please pray for me. I occasionally ask them, please pray for me for this thing, or pray for me for that, or pray for my wife for this, or pray for Abigail for that. Because I know that's what I need. So it's wonderful to have people we know that we can count on. And thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ has promised me that he will never stop praying for me. And he is one I can truly depend on for his prayers every day. Paul writing to the church at Rome in Romans 8, verse 34 says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? who is indeed interceding. That means praying for us. What is Jesus praying about for us? Well, for everything we need to grow in our life for him, isn't it? He's praying that we would enjoy the blessing of God. Jesus is praying that all the blessings he won at Golgotha for us will be a living reality in our lives every day. He's praying that you would grow in Christ-likeness. Jesus is continually in prayer, asking his Father to bless you and to supply everything you need for your journey to your true home in heaven. And based on Hebrews 2 verse 18, which we are looking at this evening, we can say with confidence, Jesus is praying specifically that you would defeat temptation in your life. That you would be victorious against sin. And my friend, beloved, you can count on the perfect prayers of Jesus to, be, to help you. Why? Because Jesus is not only God the Son. Jesus, we are taught here, even in his humanity, is merciful towards you. He has bowels of compassion for you. You know, why on earth, when you read the gospel, you, 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 are, you are struck afresh by just how compassionate Jesus is. Do you remember him reaching out to the leper? Do you remember him saying, I will? Do you remember him driving out demons? From people who didn't even ask for it. Jesus was full of mercy. Do you remember him looking at the crowd with compassion? Jesus was always moved by the plight of those he encountered. And beloved, Jesus has not changed. He is still merciful to us. As his children... The Puritan Thomas Goodwin says, Let us feel how the heart of Jesus beats, and his bowels yearn towards us. Even now, he's in glory. 
I, the Lord, changes not. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is also the case for his mercy. It never changes. The mercy and compassion of Jesus for you is not some tired sympathy. You know, sometimes when I'm tired, like I've had a long week or a long day, I, I get tired and my daughter needs something from me and I still know that I need to help her, right? But my heart is just not in it. <laughs> I'm helping her, but my heart is not in it. It is a help out of a sense of duty. She's not here, so obviously I can make that point, right? But if she knows that, I think she wouldn't be very happy. But the, the, when I think of Jesus, the mercy and compassion of Jesus is always heartfelt. It is a core feeling, a core suffering, we might almost say. Christ sympathizes with us. Because even now in heaven, Jesus carries with him into heaven the memories of his suffering for you. So that he can now help you mercifully when you are tempted. Think of a friend that, I wonder, do you have a friend that, you, that you'd go to when you are being tempted or you're just suffering, afflicted in some way? But, but I'm thinking particularly temptation. You're going through a deep sin. Do you have a friend that, I'm talking about human friend only, you can go to and just open up? We need people like that, isn't it? Think of a friend that who is kind, gentle, merciful, and understanding. Those are the people we want to go to, isn't it? You know, if you are being burdened by sin in your life, you want to go to somebody that you know they're going to be kind to you, they're going to be gentle, they're going to be merciful, they're going to understand your struggle. It's nice to have people like that, isn't it? But our Lord Jesus is more than such a person. Because we're told Jesus is able to sympathize with you in every temptation. Because he too has suffered when he was tempted. The Lord Jesus has walked in our shoes. He not only remembers his own temptations. Our Lord Jesus even now wears your humanity. But he wears a perfect humanity. So he sympathizes with you perfectly. So we can count on the mercy of Jesus towards us. But we can also count on the faithfulness of Jesus, isn't it? Because the high priest here is Jesus. He says he's a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. You and I can count on the faithfulness of Jesus to us. We know the Lord Jesus faithfully endured temptation to be our faithful high priest. And so you and I can know that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us when we are tempted. He has proved himself faithful to God in coming to save us. So how is he going to abandon us now? How is Jesus going to abandon you now in your temptation when he's gone to the uttermost to save you? You know, if you are like me, you know that you're often tempted to rest on your own power in face of temptation. And you always fail to keep sin at bay. But that's my experience anyway. And sometimes in our, tempt in our attempt to defeat one temptation, it's, it's remarkable, in our attempt to defeat one temptation, what happens is that we end up falling in another one. Even when we defeat temptation, often we do it in our own power, so it just becomes self-reliant. That's what we're saying. We win one war only to lose another. We do these things because, you see, the pressure of temptation and the fear of failure often make us rely on our own resources to resist the devil. 
But the writer of Hebrews is telling us, if you're trusting in Jesus, you do not need to depend on yourself. Jesus has come to be your helper. You don't need to lean on your effort to defeat the world, the flesh, the devil. Our Lord Jesus has already defeated his enemies for you. And he is now your high priest who stands ever ready to help you live, live out the victory that he has already won for you. And he does this directly, beloved. Of course, as God the Son, Jesus can give you help directly. But remarkably, he also does this in his human capacity as our high priest, you see. As, as God the Son, he helps you. As fully God, he, can, he gives you the help directly. But even his humanity is working for you because in his human capacity, he stands now as your high priest before God. His prayers, Jesus' prayers for me and you are merciful and faithful. And God the Father hears his prayers for you and I because that is why Jesus came. He came to pray for us. Jesus was born in our flesh that first Christmas to suffer temptation so that he can be our merciful and faithful helper when we are tempted. I just want to say the question for you this evening is simply this. Do you believe this truth of Christmas? Do you believe that God became man in Jesus to help you against temptation? Well, if you do, then first of all, two things. First of all, let this truth encourage you and comfort you that the Lord Jesus can never abandon you to your temptation. Perhaps you're feeling currently this evening overwhelmed and frustrated that you seem to always be facing the same temptations and failing against them. Perhaps you're not giving in to temptation, but you long for them to just go away. You want the Lord to take away these temptations out of your life. Maybe you work, you're in a workplace where there's a colleague who does not dress properly, right? And you'd like that just not to be an issue. Or maybe it's just because you live in a sex-saturated society with temptation everywhere. I mean, there's stuff on social media that shocks you. And you just wish that you can log onto your Twitter account and everything that's coming up there is just all right. Or your Facebook account. And you're frustrated that why do I have to live in, the, in a world of so much temptation? Maybe you're in a work situation where you, you just want to tear your hair out with anger at the boss, right? Because the way they treat you is just a temptation to your own walk with the Lord. And you perhaps even feel like quitting. You wish things could be different. Or maybe you're just feeling mentally and physically exhausted. And you're increasingly tempted to be angry, to be bitter at life in general. Now, the pressures of these tests, isn't it? And temptation sometimes can make you feel distant from Jesus. Does Jesus really know the pressure I am under? Well, this passage is telling you, beloved, your Savior knows what it means to be fully human and face the barrage of temptation, to feel helpless, to feel cornered. And you know, there's a kindred or fellowship of knowing someone has gone through the same thing we have experienced. Because it draws us more close to them. I've often said, I've said this before, when I was at university, I had such great affinity with other African students. I did. 
apart from the fact that we were trying to understand the Welsh accent together. Not a mean feat, I tell you. <laughs> we're trying to understand it together. The other thing is we all paid six grand per year. <laughs> and I'm telling you, we all felt the high cost of being in university and the cultural struggles we faced. The shared problems actually made it easy to ask help for each other. You know, you could go to your friend and say, I'm broke. Another African student. If, because they understand. <laughs> they know brokenness. But if they came from a Porsche area like Hampstead, how are they going to know your brokenness? They'll be like, what's going on? Come on, just uni. Call your dad. <laughs> but of course, if you're coming for, the situation I was coming for, you know, you can't just call your dad. That affinity comforts us. We go to others with confidence. Are you facing a temptation in your life at the moment? Well, our Lord Jesus knows the pain of standing against temptation. We share that affinity with him. He became man for us. And Jesus will not dismiss your prayers. He will not shut his ears to your prayers because you share that fellowship, as I said, of humanity with him. And you are his child. So you can run this evening boldly to him and you can find the help and comfort you long for because Jesus is God becoming man to be tempted for your benefit. And so the first truth is that this should comfort you to run to Jesus. The second thing is that this truth should give you a fresh resolve, isn't it? To put sin to death. You have all the help you need. You have all the help you need to put sin to death. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, prayer, the Lord Jesus. Oh, beloved, one more help you need. God has also given you a new heart. Oh, there's no excuse now. You must resolve to put sin to death. Because you have all the help you need if you are truly regenerate. And that's the question. Are you truly regenerate? And if you are, what you need then is to bring your temptation honestly to God. And listen to me. We're not going to go through the six steps of putting sin to death. We deal with that, we deal with that in Colossians. We might return to that. But I think just want to emphasize you need courage. You need courage to take practical steps to put sin to death. Do you have a problem with digital fornication or digital idolatry? Well, get rid of your mobile phone. It's going to cost you to get rid of that mobile phone and stick to your landline or get a landline. But you know Jesus is worth more than you keeping your mobile phone. So get rid of it if it's a source of temptation. Go back, step back to the 70s and 60s and keep that landline phone. Jesus is worth it, is he not? Heaven is worth it, is it not? Do you have friends who are, who, who, who are always leading you to, 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 to think less of Jesus? Or they're just not encouraging you in godly things? They are planting ungodly thoughts in your head? Beloved, get new friends. If that's the issue, get new friends. You see, we can do this for every temptation. The point is, the problem is not that we are helpless victims against sin. We have in Jesus a perfect and complete helper. The question you and I have to ask is, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth me giving up all of these things so that I can be right with Christ and live for him? The problem is that you are still in love with the sin that's afflicting you. Don't delude yourself. So this evening, confess 
your love of sin. Tell the Lord to remove it, to give you strength to take practical actions. Practical actions. Courage is what you need. Confess your cowardice. Sin is cowardice. We sin because we are cowards. We are not able to bear the cost of standing against sin. Jesus is the bravest man who ever lived, and we see that not only in Gethsemane, but we see that in the wilderness. So go to Christ. Ask him to give you fresh courage. Confess your cowardice. Tell the Lord to remove sin from your life and give you fresh courage to take practical action to kill sin. Beloved, we have lived long enough in this world already. We've sinned long enough. At the same time, we do not have long left in this world. We have a heaven before us. And we must be determined to not carry on in sin. Not allowing ourselves to lead ourselves into temptations. Let us remember this Christmas that God became man in Christ to be our helper against temptations. And let us not work against our precious Lord Jesus. Let us be on his side. And let us look to him to help us. Now, if I had one more time, if I had more time, I would have told you how this application, this passage can also help us on what we need to be doing to help one another. And I think what I learned from this, is an extra, if you're still listening, is that Jesus stands there as our high priest and intercessor. And I think we need to learn from him in terms of how we relate to each other. There's only one high priest, but we are also here as priests to each other before God, to minister to others. How do I help if my wife is struggling in sin? I must follow Jesus' template. I must, go, I must be full of mercy towards my wife, full of faithfulness towards my wife still, and I must pray for my wife. Because Jesus' great work at present in his humanity is prayer, isn't it? That's how we help one another. How do I help Brother Chidi if he's struggling? Same thing. I must be full of mercy towards him. I must be full of faithfulness towards him. And I must pray for him as Jesus does. Jesus has set before us a clear template of how we minister to one another. And I wanted to say more about that. And uh, the Lord more to say about that. But we shall end there. I'll leave it to you to reflect on that as a pastoral direction for us as a church to think about how best we can also learn from this text on how to live in our marriages, in our relationships, uh, with other people in the church, in the world we live in, uh, even in the way we parent.